Very good. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you've got a Bible, we're in Exodus chapter 6. It will be up on the screen uh, behind, you, behind me in a moment. Okay. And uh, as I've wrestled with this passage this, this week in preparation, um, suddenly in the last 24 hours, the focus has changed around on it. So I've, I've retitled it, and um, in, in this series of in Exodus, so retitled it, Dealing with Disappointment. I bet there's not one person in this room who's not had disappointment at some time or other, but we'll come to that in just a minute. There is so much that goes on in the book of Exodus. So just a reminder of the story so far. Because of a famine, and his, Jacob and his family of 70 have gone to Egypt, where there is plenty. There they are resourced. There they encountered Joseph, who had been sold into Egypt by some family members, and now he's the second in command. The dream that he had all those years before has suddenly been fulfilled before those, their very eyes. After some 400 years, the family becomes a nation within a nation, and this troubles Pharaoh, who puts them to forced labor. God raises up a man called Moses via the royal palace of Egypt, a Hebrew who had been miraculously saved. And by faith, Moses refuses to be known any longer as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he identifies with his people, attempts to become a judge, and kills one of the Hebrews. Word gets out, and he has to flee from Midian. And there, there he looks after sheep in the wilderness and marries Zipporah and starts to raise a family. Just a note there. You know, it's one of those things you see in Scripture that God frequently moves people that he calls and anoints out of service into an area where there is solitude, obscurity, and monotony. Because they are tools that God uses to shape our lives and very often to get something out in order to that he might be able to put something in so that we actually might be useful to him and not a hindrance to his work. Just bear that in mind. That might apply to somebody. I just felt to, to really just press that one home before we go any further. Solitude, obscurity, monotony. I could preach a sermon on that alone, just how God uses those things to get into our hearts and unlock our lives and change us into the people he wants us to be. One day God encounters him when he reveals himself through a burning bush that doesn't burn up. It was something that happened all the time out in the desert. Bushes would catch fire and then they would be consumed. This one wasn't. God was there. God has heard the cry of his people and he calls Moses to go back. Moses now feels ill-equipped. He's, he's, not he's not certain that the people will believe him, but God equips him, and he returns, performs signs, and the people believe in him and believe in God. And he pays his first visit to Pharaoh, but it doesn't go well. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? So instead of freedom, the Israelites are made to work even harder and the people turn on Moses. And so we read at the end of chapter 5, verse 22, we come to our reading, chapter 5, 23 through to 6.13. So Moses went back to the Lord and, he, uh, and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's called trouble for his people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. But the Lord replied to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Not only will he let them go, he will say, get out, go. And he will drive them. And then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am the Lord. Yahweh, I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, Yahweh, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land that they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I'll bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. Moses told this to, to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Just a note there, sometimes we are so broken, we're not in a place to hear God. And we need to have a measure of healing before we can fully hear him. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this, his land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me since I am such a poor speaker? We've been there before, haven't we? <laughs> then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Verse 22 and 23 there. I don't know whether you pick up how Moses is feeling. He has been called and anointed and shaped by God and he's, he's gone to Pharaoh, having gone to the people and, and, and won their attention. Uh, he's gone to Pharaoh and he's performed these signs and, and Pharaoh has stood up and said, who on earth is your God? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him by letting the Israelites go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. 5 verse 2. Moses is disappointed. What he thought God had said and what he thought God would do has not come to pass. And disappointment has entered his heart, and he's, he's dejected, he's cast down. He's, he's feeling sorry for himself. And I wonder this morning if you've been there whether maybe you're there at this moment in time. You heard, had a word from God and you, you've prayed on it and you've sought God about it and you've pursued it in so many different ways and maybe you came to a point in your life where it seemed to be coming to pass and then for some reason or other it seems to have faded into the background. I can remember many years ago as a, a young person feeling called by God into the ministry and knowing the call of God on my life and then, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? I hardly encounter, encounter anyone. For many, many years, I worked uh, for myself, and I, I did jobs that were out there, and hardly ever encountered people. God, what is this all about? I thought you called me. I thought you anointed me and enabled me. Disappointment sets in. 
It may be that you've been praying about something and, and there's been no answers. It may be that you, you, you've suffered some illness or know somebody who has. Somebody has suffered a fatal illness and they've passed away and you've become disappointed. Disappointment can enter our lives at so many different, different places in so many different ways. May it be a job that you were going for and you really believed God was in it and, and the door was opening and, and then suddenly it closed just like that. God, where are you? What are you about? I thought this is what you had said. I thought this is what you were doing. I trusted you in this. And God, you, you appear to have let me down. And this is what Moses is feeling. He's feeling he's been let down by the Lord who had promised him so much. It may be that even through COVID, you wonder where God is in it all. God, why did you allow that to happen? Why did you allow that sickness to last for so long? Why? Why? Where are you, God? And it can get the better of us, and it can eat into our spirits. Philip Yancey says, disappointment with God does not come only in dramatic circumstances. For me, it also edges unexpectedly into the mundaneness of everyday life. I found that petty disappointments tend to accumulate over time, undermining my faith with a lava flow of doubt. I start to wonder whether God cares about everyday details, about me. I'm tempted to pray less often, having concluded in advance that it won't matter, or will it? My emotions and my faith waver, and once those doubts seep in, I'm even less prepared for times of major crisis. So it may not be a big thing where you've heard God say something, you've had a prophetic word, you've believed something, and it's not happened. It, it may be just small, petty disappointments uh, uh, that have occurred throughout your life that have accumulated and formed this, this attitude about life that exists with you at this moment in time. If you notice here, Moses goes to God. It says Moses went back to the Lord. That's the best thing any one of us can do. To get into the Lord's presence, to go to him. One of the biggest dangers in life for a Christian is to be passive and just allow life to take over us. To allow those disappointments to get into us so that the enemy gets a foothold in our lives and he can bind us up and pull us down and we lose our way. Whatever you do, don't be passive. It is at all of the enemy. Disappointment not recognized and dealt with can lead to depression. Stop. Get into God's presence. Engage your thoughts. Engage your will. Seek his face. Grieve if necessary. And yes, there is a place for that. God doesn't mind that, us grieving in his presence. We think of the psalmist so often, and perhaps it's not psalms we go to very frequently, but it's interesting that the church worldwide visited them during the pandemic, when during the lockdown, those psalms of lament, where are you, Lord? What is happening? I don't understand it. God can handle our grief. So Moses went to God, and God wants us to, to be real with him. You know, in many ways, I grew up in a religious, religious way, and much of my early Christian life was kind of done in a religious way. Not that I wanted it to be, but it was kind of done in that way. Because I, I 
somehow couldn't think that God was really interested in me being real with him. And over the years, I've had to learn that God loves me to be real with him. There have been times when I've been out in the open space, I can think, and I've just knelt down and wept because of the brokenness, the disappointment that I have felt. Times when I've met God in amazing ways. God loves us to be real with him. He deals with reality. He deals with our disappointments. He's not afraid of them. He knows about them already. He knows how you feel. J.P. Moreland, a theologian and philosopher who's been involved in church planting and and debates of various kinds, talks about a time when he descended into the abyss of, of, of anxiety and depression. And this is what he says, expressing to God our honest feelings and beliefs is a good way to get things off our chest. Stop puffing our feet, stuffing our feelings, release anxiety, and begin a path towards a more intimate relationship with God. Relationship is not had by being religious. It's had by being real. I don't know, even this morning, some other times in church life where you've listened to bands, uh, Christian bands, and, and, and they're speaking of the faith and the victory and the triumph of the Christian faith. And I don't know whether you've ever been there and thought, but, but, but Lord, but Lord, I don't feel that at this moment in time. That's not where I'm at. And I love the way God responds to him. God does not judge him, does he? He doesn't come down on him like a ton of bricks. Come on, Moses, you know I spoke to you. Look, you encountered me in a burning bush. I mean, how real was that? I spoke to you out of that burning bush. I called you, I anointed you. I, I gave you these various signs to perform and, and so on and so forth. Come on, Moses, pull yourself together. Let's get back on track. No, he doesn't take that approach at all, does he? He comes to him with, with love and with grace. He, he doesn't judge him or condemn him bit like we've been doing through the Churches That Heal program, and Henry Cloud has reminded us about that fig tree that was, wasn't producing any fruit, and someone wanted to cut it down and get rid of it, and the answer is no, let, let's dig around it, let's dig around it, and let's, let's fertilize it, and let's give it time, and then see what it does, and that's the way of God, and it may be that that's what you need to know at this moment of time, God come into you in in grace, in your disappointment, in saying, okay, it's okay, I love you. I love you. I cherish you with all your disappointment. And he pours his grace in. Grace and truth plus time, as Henry Cloud puts it, is the way forward, is a way towards healing. So he doesn't judge him or condemn him. Notice, too, how he encourages him how he rescues him from his pity party, because that's where we can get in a self-indulgent pity party. Oh, God, I thought you called me to do this, and now, look, I've got egg on my face. I mean, Jonah was like that, wasn't he? God called Jonah to do something, and he runs in the other direction because he doesn't like it, and then God gets him back on track again, and, and when he goes and preaches to Nineveh, it's like, God, what on earth do you think you're doing? They've all repented and believed you, and look at me now, I look, I, I look so foolish. And he was down there having a pity party, 
and God had to deal with him. So he encourages him. He talks to him, and listen, look at this verse. It says here in 6 verse 1, the Lord replied to Moses, now. Now, you see, there's a, there's a thing about God's timing that we don't always understand in our lives, and I have not always understood. God, why haven't you done it? Because it's not my now, it's to do with his now. And that makes all the difference. And God had some more stuff to unpack with Pharaoh before things move forward. And he wanted Moses to know that. And he says, now, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. Because of a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. And so he speaks to him. And you notice, if you look at the chapter there and you go through it, that sense, now, I, now, I, now we're in that position where I am going to do something. Yes, I have spoken, and yes, this is where you're at, but now this is what is going to happen. And so he says here, it's, he declares, first of all, I am the Lord. And that's one of the things that we need to know, that when we're in that situation, God is still God. Maybe there's some here this morning, you're in that disappointed situation. You need to know that God is still God. He is still on the throne. He is still the I am. The I am. Take our eyes off him and we are in trouble. And then he says, I will, I am, I did, I have, I will. You go through this passage, and we haven't got time to dig into it in detail, but he says, he reminds him, he says, I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but I wasn't known to them by my name, Yahweh. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. And furthermore, I have heard. So he goes from the past to the present, to what's going on right now. So he affirms his purposes that he has spoken in, in the past. And he affirms what's happening in the present, and then he begins to declare, I will. And so he says, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians, rescue you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I don't know whether you're one of those people. Do you mark your Bible? Yeah? I've got a new one that I bought some months ago, and I, you know, just getting into marking it again, because it's like, oh, this, this pristine Bible that, you know, um, Pam's got a Bible. She hasn't got it with her today. Um, that looks as though it's all falling apart at the seams and everything. Well, it is, isn't it? Uh, it's well, well used, you know. Um, but, you know, it's good to mark your Bible. And I would suggest you go through this passage in your own time and just mark those statements, you know. Uh, I, I appeared to, I established, I have heard, I have remembered. Go through and mark the occasions when it says, I am, four times he says in, to, to Moses, I am, I am, I am, I am. It's a bit like reading Isaiah where God says time and time again, I am the Lord, this is what I do. I am the Lord, this is what I will do, etc. So in doing so, God shows him he has a, a, a larger and a grander purpose. And what, what God is doing is restructuring his thinking, helping him to think in a different way. You see, when you get disappointed and discouraged, 
your brain begins to work in certain ways, doesn't it? We, we develop certain neural patterns, and if we allow those to go on, they will just keep developing, and the rut goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and it can lead into depression, etc. So God is, is just calling a halt to his way of thinking and just helping him to restructure his thinking in God and his purposes. I wonder this morning, is there someone here who, you just need to hear that. You just need to call a halt to your thought processes. You've been disappointed in life. You've been disappointed with God. You've been disappointed maybe with church, with fellow Christians. Somebody has let you down somewhere. That disappointment can eat into your spirit and rob you of the life of God in the present. At this moment of time, God is just saying, I want to restructure your thinking. I want to heal you. I want to renew you. I want to restore you. And so he challenges his thinking and seeks to restructure It's like it's not entirely bedded in yet, and so the the opportunity is there to reshape it. Our experiences and subsequent thought patterns can lay down those neurological pathways, which we, we just find it easier and easier to go down, more and more disappointment. Encounter God, go to God, know his welcome, know his grace. Allow him to restructure your thinking. We live in a a me world, don't we? A world that very often is about me and what's happening and when it's going to happen and so on. But actually, and we can read the Bible like that, but first and foremost, the Bible is a book about God. It's a book about how he reveals himself and how he acts within the world that he has created. That it is that, that he is and that it is he who gives explanation to this world because he created it. He sets its parameters and, and wrote the story. Neglect that and we're in trouble. When you get disappointed with God, you can end up being disconnected from the larger story. And then we lose hope, don't we? And hope deferred makes the heart sick. So we have this revelation of God here, and I I must move through this very, very quickly. God reveals himself. He he gets Moses' eyes off himself and onto himself. And he says, now, there's something Moses has not understood about God and his purposes. His thoughts and his ways are higher than ours, as it says in Scripture. God makes himself known afresh to Moses in these moments and he increases the knowledge of himself. To Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he was known as our shadow, I God Almighty. But now God says, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. And you have this happening three times, chapter 3, chapter 6, and in chapter 34. And that's, when you look at them, there's that, incre- that increasing sense of revelation. If there's something we need as Christians, it's a growing revelation of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. To be growing in our knowledge of him. Pharaoh had said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and by letting Israel go? I don't know Yahweh. Well, Israel, sorry, Egypt had a whole pantheon of gods. There were gods of rain and the sun and war and hunting and chaos and violence and deserts and storms, gods of the underworld or of specific geographical areas, to name but a few. 
Many of them were assumed to take the form of animals, so the Egyptians considered bulls and cows and rams and cats and crocodiles and cobras and frogs and various insects and birds to be sacred. And even the pharaohs were considered to be divine. There's a whole stack of gods in Egypt. And, God's, and, and, and Pharaoh says, what, who's this God? I don't really know anything about him. We've got our gods. And what I find staggering about this passage here is God is, is challenging not only Pharaoh, but the whole system of religious thought and practice in Egypt. And that will no doubt come out in the plagues as we go through them over the next few weeks. But God makes himself known as the I Am, which speaks of his person and his nearness, that he is entirely existent and consistent within himself, and as such, he is the world's true and only king. So he is existent, he depends on nothing, he has no need of anyone or anything, he wants for nothing. God does not, as I read recently in, in one book, create us because he wants somebody to love. That posits a need in God, and if there is a need in God, we have a problem. God is love. In the fellowship of his persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that perichoretic love as they talk about it in, as theologians, that perichoresis, that indwelling of one another, that, that loving of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the, the Father and the Son. And they absolutely delight in one another and have done from all eternity and will do to all eternity. There is no need in God. To, so to posit that God needs someone to love means he needed to create a world. He didn't need to create anything. He creates and he makes us in his image because of the exuberance of his love. And that's a different thing altogether. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. He is consistent. He is life. He doesn't change. He is holy and happy within the realm of his own being, as I've referred to there in New Testament language, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, he rules and reigns over every sphere of life. This was going to be the revelation that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were going to get. Your gods are nothing. The true God is the Lord, Yahweh. He is the sovereign. He is the supreme king of all the earth. Israel had one God, God Almighty, the one true God who is not only the world's true sovereign, but therefore also sufficient for all that we need. So I don't need to go and find another God somewhere. And that's the way it got, you see, within pagan cultures. We, we need a God to cover this area. We need a God to cover that area. We need a, a God for this thing and for that thing. And so you have this multiplicity of gods to cover every possible area and dynamic of life. And God says, I'll do. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And God says, I am. I am. I will be what I will be. I am that I am. And I love it because as you go on to, to read the scriptures, as you go on to understand that revelation that Israel gets of God, he is Yahweh Jireh, our provider. He is Yahweh Nisai, our banner. He is Yahweh Rapha, our healer. He is Yahweh Sekenyu, our righteousness. He is Yahweh Shalom, our peace. 
is Yahweh Roy or Ra, our shepherd. And so it goes on. And it's reminiscent, isn't it, of the fact that when you get over into the New Testament, Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. Lots of people turn around and say, Jesus never said he was God. That's one of the arguments out there in the world. Jesus, Jesus never said he was God. True, he didn't say it in a modern Western way, but he said it time and time again. And so when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they knew exactly what he was saying. I am the God of the Old Testament. I am that I am. And when he went on to talk about, I am the good shepherd, I am the, 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 the living bread, I am the water of life, seven times John has him saying, I am God. I am God. That's why the crowds wanted to stone him. He is a God of covenant faithfulness. As we draw to a close here, our time is gone. Let us know his commitment to his covenant. I have remembered my covenant, a God of covenant faithfulness. He will now bring about their redemption. I will bring you out, rescue you, redeem you, chapter 6, verse 6. I will he will establish his relationship with them. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. In 6 verse 7, and then in 6 verse 8, I will grant them rest in the promised land. And in that working out of his purposes, he uses men and women. And here he comes to Moses and he recommissions him. And he says in verse 11, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from his land. And so actually in this chapter, where Moses is kind of almost saying, God, count me out. I believed you once. I went and did it, but it didn't happen. Find somebody else. God is saying, I'm not finished with you yet. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Yeah? Maybe people that God's saying that to here this morning. You felt like, God, count me out. I'm done. I'm too disappointed. I'm done. And God wants to heal you of your disappointment and recommission you to get back into service. Isn't that wonderful? What a God we have. Are you growing in that revelation of him? Is there an increasing knowledge so that as you go on, you begin, oh God, you're like this. Oh God, you're like that. Oh God, you, you are amazing. Let's stand, shall we? There's an awful lot there that we just dug over this morning. But if you're carrying disappointment within your heart, and I really felt God lay it on my, my heart and change the emphasis of it as I prepared this finally yesterday. You're disappointed with God. God is not condemning you, but he's loving you. There's a difference between dis being disappointed with God and disappointed in God. But if you allow disappointment with God to continue too long, it can be disappointment in God, and God doesn't want that. God wants to come to you this morning with you in his grace, and maybe even as we've just spoken, he's just touched your heart, he's touched your life in some way. And he wants to give you a fresh revelation of himself, and it's not about you, but it's about him. It's not about what you can't do or feel you can't do, but it's about him and what he can do. 
Because faith at the end of the day is not about the fact I know how to do this, I know how to do that, I know how to do the other. Faith takes us beyond those dimensions so that the glory will always be God's. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. Lord, I know only too well how disappointment can get into our soul and how it can rob us of that joy of knowing you and being engaged in your service. I pray, Holy Spirit, that anyone who's here this morning particularly and knows that, whether it's in a small way or a big way, God, you'll just help them to just come to you, even in this moment, just to know your presence, to know that you're not judging them and condemning them and saying off with his head and that's the end of it, but to know that you're calling them back into life. Jesus, you came that we might have life and have it in abundance. It's the enemy who comes to rob, kill and destroy. Renew life amongst your people today. Where the effects of COVID have got people down and so you're just, just doing life at the moment. Help people to re-engage again, I pray. In the fullness and the abundance of life. Knowing, Lord, that we don't need a whole load of gods to look after us, but you are the one who cares. Thank you for your grace, Father. As you recommission us, help us to know that we walk with you. And you're all that we need. In Jesus' name. Amen.